Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our midweek prayer and practice service. These services are meant to provide a biblical basis for different spiritual gifts and areas of discipleship, as well as allow attendees a place to practice those gifts. We hope you are strengthened, encouraged, and comforted by this message. Um, Tonight, I want to talk about uh, the enemy. I want to talk about uh, how he works. And it's probably worth it to make this sort of disclaimer anytime I talk about anything. But I am not an expert on this subject, and especially this subject. I I had an experience recently where uh, I went to dinner with Michael Miller and, and Justin Fry, and Nate was there, and a couple other people. And it was just, it was, uh, it was dinner, it was pizza for the sake of asking questions. And all the questions were about demons. And you, if you, guys, you guys all know me. I'm a long-winded person. I talk too much. And I had nothing to contribute to this conversation. I sat there with everyone else at the table and just stood with mouth agape as we heard stories of deliverance. And all of my skepticism was slowly shriveling under the, the bright light of the glory of Jesus. And I think... Part of the problem with these sort of subjects is that we don't get normative methods from the scripture. So people that teach with a lot of certainty are drawing it largely from their experience, which I don't want to downplay. Like when we were hanging out with Michael Miller, he was saying to us, it's like, I, I always thought this was bogus, this thing about deliverance. But then I hung out with a guy and he did it and it worked. So I'm not saying that this is the way it always has to be done but it's not bogus, you know, it's like, it worked, you know, um, and so we, we come into this, uh, wanting to be critical readers of the scripture, we want to be, um, discerning, uh, Bereans, so to speak, but at the same time, we have to realize that we can't make things normative that Jesus didn't make normative, that Paul didn't make normative, and what I mean by normative is like, this is the way it's done, this is the way that we do it, so, All that to say, I'm not an expert at this subject, and this is by no means comprehensive, but this is something that I had uh, received from the Lord that I feel like is an important conversation to talk about. So I use the word enemy because it covers a a wide swath. Like, we're going to talk about the devil tonight, but there is this, this enemy of our souls that is very real, and we get this idea um, this like theological concept from the philosopher, theologian, and priest of the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas. And he famously at the Council of Trent coined this threefold enemy of the soul. He said that the enemy of the soul is the world, the world, not the word, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he draws this from Genesis 3 and how uh, the couple was tempted by the devil but also from Jesus' own parable of the sower and how people can be robbed of the good seed of the gospel by different things. Also, this is just kind of good sense, right? A a clear and easy way to lose a fight is to not realize that you're in one or not realize who you're actually fighting against. And so for our scope tonight, we're going to narrow in on this, this character who has littered the pages of the scripture that is the devil. Now, uh, we can trace his role from creation's beginning. He's uh, identified throughout the scripture as this snake who is tempting the couple in the garden. And there's lots of titles and distinctive features. And so if I don't like mention your favorite devil trait tonight, don't, 
don't uh, don't despair. Like there, there's there's more time for this sort of thing. Um, but I feel like in this conversation of discerning spirits, and especially as we begin to pray for one another, as we begin to ask for words for one another and, and pictures and those sort of directions, I think these these concepts are are very um, important for him, and and I think it also works for his agents or allies, demons in general. So if we look at Matthew chapter 4, I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So chances are... We're familiar with this story. This, this is in Matthew and Luke, and they're very similar. I picked uh, Matthew because uh, Jesus says, go, Satan, in this one, and he doesn't say that one in Luke. So I went for this one instead. Um, they're very similar. Um, and this is interesting because this directly follows a very glorious story. This is directly following Jesus' baptism in water with John. And if you recall that scene, it's pretty Trinitarian and beautiful that you hear the audible voice of the Father God and you, you see a physical form of the Holy Spirit come down and remain on Jesus. And this is, I mean, if you're talking about high quality spiritual encounters, this is a high quality spiritual encounter. If there was a mountaintop encounter, this is the kind of mountaintop encounter you want. But then it, it moves directly into the next phase of things is Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which implies this sense of like loneliness, that sort of thing, to be tempted. Now, non-rhetorical question, why would the Spirit do this? Not rhetorical. Yeah, I'm asking you to answer the question, sorry. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it says. That's what it is. Moving on. No, <laughs> no I think, um, I think the, the reality is um, this is a major proving point in this narrative. And I think uh, if, we, if we had some really kind of twisted humanistic viewpoint, we could think that this is Jesus proving himself. But this is more so that, that we understand the importance of all the events that are about to happen. Because Jesus was tempted in all the ways that men were, but without sin. And so that tells us a couple things. One, being tempted is not sinful. That's just part of life. Even if the devil himself is face-to-face -face with you and telling you to do something, that is not sin. The way you respond to that temptation is sin. Um, or it can be sin, not like every way <laughs> you respond to it is sin. Um, but also, what I think is that it shows us that um, even though the Spirit leads us into difficult places, God is not the one who is doing the tempting. Do you, see, do you see that? Like, the Spirit's not like, hey, let me tell you some lies and try to get you to disobey God. It's like, no, the Spirit's like, here's something that we're going to show the world who is actually at large here, what the problem of evil is actually from. That it's not from God just like, playing some twisted game. This is the real adversary that is accusing you and lying to you and trying to deceive you. And so uh, the Lord is demonstrating that through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus, but also that the purpose that God means to accomplish can only be accomplished one way. That the only way that Jesus could actually accomplish his purpose is through the cross. Because what he's being offered here by the, the, the enemy is a shortcut. It's like, what if I told you I could, I could get you to the finish line without you having to jump over all those hurdles? I, I don't know. I, I think that there are real moments in my own flesh that that is extremely, extremely tempting, for lack of a better word. That like, what if I could get you to where the Lord wants to take you, but you just skip the line? And I think that's a, that's a scary reality. So... What I want to identify here um, is, is how Satan does this. Because what he's not doing is he's not bringing a hammer up to Jesus and being like, hit yourself in the head. Because that's stupid and nobody would do that. What he's doing is he's lying to him and he's accusing him. The first thing he goes for is, is who Jesus is. If you really are the son of God, then why don't you do this? And so if we would doubt that Jesus is the Son of God, he could be like, well, I'm not the Son of God, so I don't have to do that. It's like, no, he's, he's sure of who he is, and, and we understand that he's been sure for a long time about who he is. But yet the devil isn't just, like, coming with these, like, outlandish, ridiculous uh, accusations, but he's coming with legitimate scripture. And this is a major prescription to all of us to read the scripture, and not just to simply be familiar with it, because uh, mere like familiarity would cause you to be tempted by these kinds of things. It's like, well, I I remember that story. I hadn't thought about it that way, you know. That's 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 interesting. That 
I probably could jump off this cliff and, and God would save me because I'm, he, he values me, he loves me. Why wouldn't he do something like that? But it comes to a deeper level of understanding uh, the, the context of the entire scripture, not just these, these sort of rogue passages that we can cherry pick out and abuse, but to understand who God is when he's saying the things that he's saying. Because that's where, where um, the devil starts is with these accusations undergirded by uh, carefully placed scripture references. And then, obviously, he uh, kind of terminates his temptations with this idea that I can give you something that God is depriving you of. And this is the same sort of tactic he used on Adam and Eve, is, did God really say that? Because I have a different way. Like, actually, actually, if you eat this fruit, and maybe he's not even lying, if you eat this fruit, you will be like him. You'll understand things that you didn't understand before, that God knows I can get you there faster than whatever God is trying to do by, by uh, harshing your cool, by like trying to, trying to cut you off. And Jesus responds by speaking the truth. Jesus responds by speaking the scriptures. And, and I think it's, it's powerful um, the way that he's able to reference these things, the way that he's able to reference to God's entire character and the relationship that he's been formed in his entire life. And it leaves the devil without any sort of, uh, without any sort of rebuttal. Like he doesn't have any sort of position to be like, well, but what if, and, it's, and then Jesus is speaking with authority. And so the, the, the thing that I want to speak to in this conversation of discerning spirits is the reality that um, we don't really know what the devil can do. Like we have, we have some, some scriptural claims to what the devil can't do. Like First John says that he can't touch us. That's, that's nice. You know, whatever that covers, I guess, is, is whatever. You know, and we had a we had a question I think on on Friday night uh, when we were doing the conference that somebody was like, "Well, the devil can't read our minds." I was like, "We have no reason, like we have no scriptural basis to believe that he can't do that," and I don't have any scriptural basis to believe that he can do that. But the problem is, I can't make those sort of huge claims. But what I can realize is that the most holy person who ever lived was tempted by the devil, and the devil was able to successfully lie to him, and Jesus had to resist him. And that puts us all in the same boat. I know a bunch of us were here last night talking about John 15, where Jesus says these super cool words, they hate me. Why wouldn't they hate you also? They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. And I think that that comes to, like, obviously the the peoples of the earth, but also to the devil himself. Like, he will uh, come against us in that way. And so often this battlefield starts not with like him picking up a cup and throwing it across your room in like a horror movie sort of sense. This battlefield starts in your mind. That uh, I think there's these sort of ebbs and flows in church history of like, uh, like Thomas Aquinas, who I quoted earlier, was considered a scholastic, like he was part of a movement called scholasticism, where it was a lot of like navel gazing and just weird pontificating and just like real philosophical thought. Like I read that they didn't even really read the Bible. They read other people's interpretations of the Bible. And they just debated on like, how many angels do you think, like this is a real legitimate debate of the scholastics, is how many angels do you think could fit on the pin like the head of a needle? 
and they spent all their, well, like, Turks are invading, like, kingdoms and tearing down, like, and, and, like, Constantinople is being overtaken by Muslims. Like, they're like, how many, what about the angels? How, like, how big do you think they are? How small do you think they can get? And it's like, we, we're not trying to do that sort of thing. But at the same time, the, the mind can so easily be neglected. And I think especially as, like, charismatics, we can be like, oh, yeah, what I think doesn't really matter. It's about what I experience. And the devil will use that to weaken your mind and, and break you. <laughs> and um, uh, this Sunday, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 8, and we talk about the conscience and those that are weak of conscience and those who are, quote, unquote, strong of conscience and how strange it is the way Paul advises us on how, how to deal with those sort of things. But, um, but I believe that with this, this temptation and this, this battlefield that takes place in our mind, it's important not to um, give, give the devil any sort of welcome or foothold in this. And I think my, my best bet, and this feels so like typical Adam sort of stuff, is to know the Lord and know the scriptures really well. That he can't take something that is actually for our benefit and turn it around to hurt us. Because, um, I mean, I don't have a story for this. I don't have, like, an experience that I can share with you where it's like, I thought I was following God, but I was actually following the devil. I, I don't have a proof of that sort of thing. But I think this is something that subtly happens all the time. It subtly happens where people begin to um, divide over different things. They begin to, to hate their brothers. They begin to call people who are Christians not Christians and people who aren't Christians Christians. And, and it becomes this very confusing thing that will only destroy us, that, that it'll only come to, um, to kill what the Lord is, is trying to do. Thank you for listening to the Open Door Church podcast. If you want to find more teaching and resources, check us out at opendoorpagosa.com.